How are you guys doing? Good evening. Sorry to displace the regular old live stream on, on the Wednesday night, but uh, I like to mix it up. It's like my dance moves. Chaotic, vaguely dangerous, and uh, uh, often unsettling. So uh, thanks everyone for joining us here tonight. We've got some people listening um, uh, who are going to contribute, I think, just audio only. We've, of course, got some regulars, some new people, uh, the regulars. Uh, hi. Uh, Jared, of course, you know. Uh, Seth's new. Tim, you know. Um, we did comment on him escaping the inside, which I find alarming and unsettling. Uh, we've got Philip here. Uh, we were just commenting that he appears to be beneath the security camera uh, in the corner of what I can only assume is somebody else's house. And uh, Ryan, we chatted before. Is that right? Yep. I yep, remember, right. uh, I remember short time. stuff over there. So, um, okay, if we could get an intro from Seth and Philip. Uh, and if anybody wants to know the intro from the other people, well, you just have to go back to the last show. So too bad. All right. So if you guys wanted to say hi. Uh, Seth and then Philip, and tell us a little bit about yourself and and why you're here, what you're doing. Sure. So the three main skills that I've been working on developing for some time are philosophy, logic, and economics. So I am very interested in improving the power of my mind, understanding, you know, how the world works, and using that to live a good life. And you dropped by the parenting one uh, recently, so uh, great to have you back. And how long have you been in the crypto space? Well, I haven't invested in it, but I've been keeping a watchful eye on it for some time. And I find the idea of liberating us from the theft of central banks very interesting. Right. Uh, I'm also interested in Ethereum and smart contracts and Web 3.0 and all that stuff. Oh, I've got a few things to say about Ethereum. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, you there, take that, you take that child from the room, Ryan. Because that child should not be in the room when I'm talking about Ethereum. <sighs> I refuse to be zen about this, the brutality of what it has done to the world literature scene just today. We'll get into that in a sec. Uh, but before yes. I pop a vessel on that one, Phil, uh, hi, welcome. And uh, don't forget to, uh, uh, oh, you've uh, unmute. Uh, tell us a little about yourself, your history in the crypto space, and uh, feel free to look at the camera so it doesn't look like you're looking directly at my groin. Not that I mind that, but, uh, you know, it's just something to remember. Copy that. So I found Steph when I was in art school. I went through what I would assume is a similar situation to what you did, Steph. Uh, you realize they're all Marxists and communists and have a tough time there. I've since moved to Hollywood. I do some work with Cernovich and with Scooter Downey, who you've had on the show before, we've worked together. Um, there's a small coalition out here, but small but mighty. In terms of crypto, I got into it probably early 2014 was when I started and really started in it heavy mining and, and noting for Bitcoin in the last two years or so. So I wouldn't say I'm as expert as Jared or anybody else in here, but I got a little experience. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, we're going to start off with a quick game of Spot the Zebra. Just kidding. Um, so, yeah, we got a lot to, to uh, talk about tonight. Um, criticisms of Bitcoin. Um, I, I got, unfortunately, uh, yeah, I, there was a guy who, who had lots of criticisms. I've got them uh, in writing here and we can, you know, see, but uh, there are lots of criticisms of Bitcoin in particular. And, you know, I think in order to really be devoted to something as I am to Bitcoin, you got to take the punches, right? You've you got to take the opposition. You got to roll with, with the negatives. Uh, I do find it quite 
amusing slash horrifying, which is my general experience of the modern world these days, uh, when you've got a whole bunch of international banksters who fund wars saying, oh, but it might use too much energy. You know, like, I mean, like that not enough energy is used in the destruction of human beings in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and all these other places, or the same kind of class of people who are happy to enslave the unborn in massive intergenerational surf taxpayer livestock debt shackles saying, well, you know, but it might be used for nefarious things, you know, and, and what was that I just read the other day that uh, I think it was Deutsche Bank alone. What is it? Uh, trillions of dollars, $2 trillion over the last couple of years, something like that, that they apparently have been accused of laundering. And oh my gosh, I, I also wanted to talk about if you guys know much about what's happening with uh, LBRY and the SEC, uh, that's, uh, uh, I think, important and, and people really need to keep a track of that. But um, I guess we'll just start with, you know, what, what are your thoughts, your criticisms? I think we'll start with Jared. Uh, and you guys can obviously take a smoke break as Jared, you know, pops his Klingon uh, blood vessels <laughs> and, and talks about Bitcoin. But no, listen, we, we do want to we do want to unearth the the bad the bad stuff uh, that's out there, because uh, no human endeavor is perfect, obviously. And, and this is a human endeavor. So um jared you, yes. you've obviously had some thoughts about bitcoin <laughs> over the, over the years and you sort of major uh criticisms now we can talk about the criticisms and technology and so on but i think that uh and we i think those limitations that we've, we've discussed before mm -hmm. but there seem to be some corruption questions some financial incentive questions um <clears throat> some potential censorship questions we've touched on before. So, uh, and of course, you know, we, we do want to talk about the energy requirements and so on and the the China having sway, uh, you know, the fact that China has a significant amount of, of churn when it comes to mining, although the fact that China controls the vast majority of the world's shipping doesn't seem to be uh, as big of an issue to people, but what the heck. And then um, obviously we will continue the conversation until a giant super tanker blocks our communications channels and we all just go go home. So Jared, go for it. So uh, criticism of Bitcoin, like getting into the technical stuff, like Blockstream's involvement, some of the players and how corrupt they may or may not be, uh, that kind of stuff, when it comes to trying to find out the nitty gritty, the truth of what's going on is, is the claim. The, the, for me personally, the cost benefit time to get in there and figure it out generally isn't worth it because the amount of time and effort it takes me to find out what's actually happening it's like i've got a other i've got a life to live and manage and, and career to take care of on top of that and i could spend so much time working those things um what i try to go to personally when i'm looking into crypto is the community i can go there and i can directly interact with the people and then get an inkling of the culture that's going on uh beyond that uh for like personally like i like to say like uh, Ethereum is, you know, you're going to find a lot more face metal and purple hair, you know, in the Ethereum crowd. And there's there's a little bit of socialism that comes along with that, you know. So that's the kind of that's the way I tend to judge a, a blockchain is by the people, uh, because a am not as qualified to uh, to qualify the technical sides, the code level. I can do it like novice, you know, stuff, but I can't really get in there as well as some other people can. And and I and at the end of the day, I believe I don't care how great the code is. The human beings are what will determine the future of these things. And code so my blasphemy, <laughs> code blasphemy. Sorry, go ahead. I know we weren't <laughs> going to talk technical stuff. And um, so for me, I when I interact with the crypt, the Bitcoin core community, 
not not all of them, but there's a growing and, and plenty big enough percentage that uh, are just more sophists than philosopher. And it's uh, like that to me is poison that therein lies the state, you know, so that's that's my criticism in a nutshell. You know, I, I go out to go out and directly interact for like for each individual, make your mind up for your own, like these communities and, and see what you think, you know. Okay, thanks, uh, Seth. Is there anything that you've got in terms of criticisms of uh, architecture, motives, rollout, and so on of Bitcoin? Okay, so a few things. First, when it comes to energy, I really don't like that criticism in the sense that they just say it dismissively, right? So if you were to approach it logically, it would be, okay, well, why don't we just switch nuclear power? Bam, we got energy. Or, or you know, okay, well, why don't we... Uh, switch from a uh, proof of stake to proof of work or you know that what bothers me about bitcoin is the the fact that it's 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 slow it it right now it's good for big transactions but it's not good for the typical day-to-day -day transactions so it seems to be used more for speculation than it is for actual transactions although that is starting to change now that uh Places like Visa, MasterCard, PayPal are starting to accept Bitcoin, which I think is a big move forward. But my biggest concern is just with scalability when it comes to the original Bitcoin. I know that other alternatives like Hashgraph are much faster, but Hashgraph isn't decentralized. It's made by one privately owned company. So, so yeah, my, my primary concern is just that it doesn't seem to scale well. I know that someone in the space is going to win. There's too much value in the space itself. So I'm not invested in any particular coin. I'm invested in the concept because I know somebody's going to make it to the top. Well, it's funny, too, because as far as speed goes, you guys are younger than me for the most part. So um, when, when I first got online, um, I mean, it was like you you had a small Japanese guy etch-a-sketching the web pages as they would download one <laughs> character by one character. I remember a 300-board modem. No matter how fast you type, it was like letter, 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 letter. And, you know, all of the productivity enhancements from the early web were completely nullified by the fact that it took forever. You, you could watercolor the web page quicker uh, by painting it than you could just waiting for it to download. So the idea that things and people say, oh, my God, the web is so slow. The web is like, yeah, yeah, of course it's slow. You know, it's new. Of course it's slow. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll sort it out. That can be figured out. So oh, wait a minute, Stefan. My understanding of Bitcoin, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's kind of intentionally slow. So it's kind of like the more transactions you have going, the slower they have to make it. So it, it's not necessarily a processing speed issue. I, it's an algorithmic issue. Well, I mean, that has to do with block size and all of that, which we'll, we, we talked about last round. So, uh, Philip, did you want to okay. jump in? Criticisms and, and issues you have with the itty bitty coins? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, in terms of other people's criticism of Bitcoin and its energy expense, I run a Bitcoin mine, I'm obviously a small operation, but it's kind of like having a second refrigerator in your house. It's not a, in terms of energy use, state funding terrorism and, and spending $10 trillion a year. That's probably the first, if I was gonna cut a pie, I would cut that part out first and then start to figure out a better way to manage Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone's gonna talk about the speed. Speed's an issue. Um, there's probably a, a, in terms of, that the actual limiting of 21 million, even if you rattle off it down into Satoshi's, a lot of that's going to end up in fees and stuff also. 
So I think looking at Bitcoin as the staple and then other altcoins as, you know, the, the fluid that moves the system around might be a better way to think about it. Um, but that would just be my opinion, obviously. Right. Tim, I'm sure that since our last conversation, you have found a genuine Vesuvius fireworks of optimism that, that is now powering you uh, to, to new heights of joy and satisfaction in life. So just, just bring us the tsunami of love and joy, man. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I got all a lot of my complaints out during the last few shows. And uh, so I'm just, I don't know, it just, it's been very cathartic. But I, d I did sort of looking back on it, I did realize that there was, I still think there's a thing that is happening that you are not aware of. Like, there's just an aspect to how Bitcoin is running that you are like just don't see yet and then and i think i can I, I finally figured out how to distill it down to like a like a simple part you know um so in okay so uh so so okay so on like on the last show we said i i, I had this spot where i said uh you know when the there was the, the core Bitcoin Core, Bitcoin Cash conflict, uh, they both sides said that they needed to go down a certain uh, protocol evolutionary path in order to avoid state interference in the future. And then you said, um, well, can you explain like why there's a disagreement about that and how this issue, uh, like like why, why are we disagreeing about this? And, uh, and then we never uh, the, the the conversation kind of continued, and we never really rounded back to that. And I uh, so I think I could state it simply, and that is that so there's they're not uh, they're not being totally honest. So like they say that the smart technical thing to do is to not just rely completely on the base layer but to build layers on top of it, because just technically that's a smart thing to do. But that's not the reason that they're doing it. If you go into the, listen to the conversations like, like I have, like where I'm just obsessively watching every little comment by everybody, um, the real reason why they don't want to expand the base layer is because they tremendously value the ability to run what they call full nodes from their home. And so th to run a full node from their home, and I, I got like, and I, you, if I'm going too long or anything, please pause me. No, no, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. We, we got time, man. we got time. Yeah, so a full node to most people is something that they're gonna be like, well, what, do you, what does that mean? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but basically uh, it's, it is kind of hard to describe what it is to somebody who like to say that real simply, but basically they want to be a network participant and, uh, and they believe that if they're not able to run a full node from home, then uh, well, that their, the network will become overly centralized and then the network will, will be able to find, there will be too few of them and then the government will be able to find those individual ones and kind of crack down somehow. And then 
Um, and I don't really believe that's the reason why uh, that they say that. I think the real reason is they just enjoy, like it's fun for them, like a hobby. So they, they have fun like running this note from their house. And then uh, when someone tries to uh, expand the network capability beyond where they're able to be a, they're able to continue to have a full node from their home, then they don't want to give that up. So, you know, like when Satoshi, he's got a quote that said, you know, at first, like basically everyone is going to run a node, but as the network expands, it's going to be more and more a specialized thing. And then, so, uh, so from Satoshi's viewpoint, that's why he never even thought that there was ever going to be a scalability issue. But if you, uh, in, if you change the design goals to where everyone can still very easily run a full node, then, um, then the network has massive scaling problems. So that's why they're not going to lightning or side chains because that's just the technical thing they, they think is the smartest thing to do. They're doing that because they, they have to in order to keep running these full nodes from their house. And I know that's a long explanation. Right, right, no, I think, yeah. I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you, that makes sense to me. I appreciate that. Thank you. And um, if we can get to Ryan, who also makes me a little confused as to how Jared can be in two places at once. You guys look a little similar. That's all I'm trying to say. One of you is the good twin. One is you the evil twin. We're going to tease that out among us style during the course of the conversation. But uh, yeah, high forehead, full beard. Go for it, man. Okay, so I've written down a, just a couple notes in our chat message that I'll refer to. But um, so Roger Veer, who's the Bitcoin Cash guy, um, not the creator of Bitcoin Cash, but one of the strongest advocates, he often says that Bitcoin is slow, expensive, and unreliable. And what he means by that, I think we've already covered slow. We've are, uh, Expensive is a big problem. I don't know if we've covered that too much. Um, but unreliable is also an issue that's, that's more related to just not knowing how or when, if your Bitcoin transaction is actually going to get confirmed uh, or when it's gonna get confirmed. Um, and so that naturally pushes people onto, off the protocol onto other protocols. So we've talked about the Lightning Network also, that's not here yet. So until that's here, I'm still skeptical, skeptical about Bitcoin, uh, both currently and, it's, and the future. So they've been promising Lightning Network for 18 months for about, well, 18 months times three or something like that. Uh, so it is a huge challenge to bring Bitcoin onto the Lightning Network. Um, so, you know, in your ideal cryptocurrency, you just want transactions to be very fast, very, very cheap and very reliable. And there are cryptocurrencies that do that. And the, the, the main criticism against those cryptocurrencies is usually that well, those are not, those are centralized. And it's really easy to get those properties with centralized cryptocurrencies. And they're not really even cryptocurrencies in, in a lot of Bitcoiners eyes. Um, but I would challenge that. And I think that's a discussion that's probably too technical for me to get into right now off the cuff. 
But if you listen to a lot of the Ethereum podcasts, they do a really good job of this. Uh, and Bitcoin, Bitcoin people generally like to think that Bitcoin is the most secure coin. Um, and that's debatable. Um, so although proof of work has been very effective up until now, and the, the market cap makes it very, very secure from just a market cap perspective, like it's, you know, it's harder to take down a system that a lot of people are have a vested interest in. Um, it is still vulnerable. And like I said, like the fact that mining is very centralized, that's a problem. That's an issue. So those are some criticisms, but my main, I, I, what I would say my kind of unique perspective uh, on my criticism with Bitcoin is that it's not a real economy. It's not a real uh, internal economy. When, when you've priced out the ability to spend your Bitcoin on goods and services because of the high fees, then you can't really do what the, what the function and the real purpose of money is. So if we're talking about money, you have to know what money is and money is what money does. So if you ask some random person on the street, what is money? They'll tell you, it's the thing that I earn. It's the thing that I save. It's the thing that I do my accounting in. And it's the thing that I ultimately spend on goods and services. So what Bitcoin has done unfortunately, um, is it's chopped off the two ends that are the most important. Earning Bitcoin as a way to get Bitcoin. So right now, most people that get Bitcoin, they have to buy it, which has centralization risks. And, you know, you're, you're, you're giving up privacy information when you do that. So there's no real easy way to earn Bitcoin. That's a problem. So you can store it. And that's why people are you know, so heavy on that meme of like store value, store value, number go up. That's all that matters is because that's really all that Bitcoiners have left um, when, you, when the fees are so high. Um, so the other end that they've chopped off is the getting Bitcoin into goods and services. So if you're just stuck with a currency that has only the middle part of the saving and maybe possibly doing the accounting in Bitcoin, you've you've kind of neutered your your currency into something that is questionable that you could even call it a currency at that point. At, at that point, it's more like an investment than a currency because you're not going to be earning crypto, you're not going to be spending crypto, you're just buying it and saving it. That's not a that's not a currency in my opinion. That's not money in my opinion. So, I mean, just from a, you know, semantic standpoint, but also a functional standpoint, it's not money and it probably never will be unless it fixes those issues. And so the sort of top three issues that you would like to see Bitcoin solve in order for you to accept it as money, what would they be? Um, that normal people, average Joes are able to easily earn Bitcoin and that they they're easily able to spend Bitcoin for goods and services and do that all with the native currency, not on some side channel, not on some second layer, not on some custodial service that's just telling you that you own Bitcoin, just like banks tell you that you own dollars. There are gonna be, it's basically forcing people into 
using custodial services to keep fees low. Um, and then now you're just using custodial services again. That's not the point of cryptocurrency. The point of cryptocurrency was to be currency, not an investment that you just leave on a, an exchange and in, in a bank that the bank then gives you a substitute for that then is used as the currency. Because like right now, gold's not a currency. It's not a currency because it's not being it's not being earned. People don't go to work and earn an ounce of gold. People don't spend an ounce of gold. So gold is not a currency either. Well, and I mean, so to be fair, though, the, 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 primary, the, primary, the primary utility of gold at the moment appears to be the generation of Peter Schiff memes. So there is that aspect That's of it valuable. as well. That's now, but, but here's the thing. So, I mean, as far as earning goes, yeah, I mean, it'd be great to get paid in, in, in Bitcoin. That's obviously going to take a while and people get, you know, the tax implications. And of course, if you pay people in Bitcoin, it's kind of tough to do all of the deduction at source taxes and the pension deductions and the unemployment insurance deductions and the healthcare deductions, uh, all of this stuff, and then remit it to the state. I mean, one of the things that is, is, is dragging down the adoption of crypto is all of the paperwork and, and reallocation of resources you have to do with the state. I think the other thing too, I mean, I'm really with you. Like, I mean, there are, um, you know, the stacking sats hold on to them like grim death crypto people. But, you know, I don't know that you, we were, who, nobody really expected A, the Spanish Inquisition and B, like the China virus, right? The China virus coming in and causing the absolute wrecking ball of money printing to hit at the base of the US dollar and in fact, Western fiat currencies as a whole, the accelerationism that is inherent in the massive expansion of the money supply. Uh, what was it last year? Uh, over the last 12 to 14 months, the US has printed more money than the entire time previous, like it's completely mad. And so I think that tsunami of incoming cash and, and debt is something that is making people hold on for dear life because they're just waiting for that tsunami of inflation uh, to to hit. And and then, but, you know, yeah. it's going to be kind of ironic if it does, right? People, it's sort of funny that all, all of the younger people who who think, oh, the world is going to end because of climate change. It's like, well, shouldn't you be learning a real practical material skill then rather than, you know, art history and, and Marxist terminology? Like if, if Greta Thunberg was, was genu genuinely believed that civilization was coming to an end, she'd learn how to spear fish, not to uh, take private jets to climate conferences. But yeah, it's just kind of funny. Uh, the world's going to come to an end, so I'm going to get a useless abstract degree and live right in the heart of a big city. <laughs> no, you don't believe but the world's coming to an end. You're not kidding anyone. Well, Stefan, if I could just jump in. I say that every time. I'm sorry. The, uh, um, but Tim may jump say, in. Go ahead. <laughs> they are just not really being honest about the reason why. The reason why it can't be used at a much wider, long, like wider level is because they don't want the bandwidth requirements to uh, go beyond what they can run from their home computers. And then if you don't believe that it's important for, I don't believe it's important for uh, uh, individuals to be able to run these nodes from their house, then I'm completely fine. We'll just keep expanding. Like I'm fine with all these extra use cases, but they're not, they really want to keep the, it's, they want to keep the base layer throttled. So that way they can continue to run these nodes from their house. And then it's hmm. not obvious to a lot of people why that is needed to happen. What, yeah. Why do and they? Then, why do they want to for for the mining profit? Like, why did they want to no, run the nodes no. on their house? 
yeah, but like, I, so they, uh, the reason that they give is they say if there's too few nodes, then the government can come and find those individuals. And, and, but, and then if, uh, and then if the bandwidth requirements are really small, then everyone can have one. And then the government won't be able to find all those people or enough of them to be able to, you know, stop it. But then they don't really admit that there's a trade-off. If you keep the bandwidth tight like that, then there's not, um, then everyone's going to have to, like they say, oh, don't worry, because we will come up with new protocols that we can put on top of it that mean people can still transact with it without going through a bank. But then those new protocols haven't really come into an existence yet. And then so they don't admit that they're forcing a lot of people back into the banking system. And that's also a, a, a dangerous thing. Right, right. So now those those large number of nodes, though, at least like the security implication of having a lot of people using the node, that's like, OK, so we like to see uh, people directly, the people who are, are more of an advocate of on-chain transactions like to see people directly being able to exchange crypto. OK, and part of that is there's a security in that when ev- when Bob and Joe are directly trading Bitcoin or they've got it right on their wallet, you know, and they can earn five bucks, six bucks, whatever. There's a security in that because the more people invest in, in that, the more people that have that, it's the same kind of argument that when the government comes after it, if everybody's using it, OK, they're going to say it's a little too late, fellas, you know, so they're we're just between Bitcoin core and Bitcoin cash. There's two sides of a different uh, a way of going about things. And personally, the way I'd like to see it go forward is say, how about we value both of those? All right. That's what it should have been long ago. You can value both of them, but they could have increased the block size and then you would not have alienated this whole portion of the community and, and all these evangelicals. Okay. And you know, in the future, they can, they can say we were wrong. Please come back. And we're going to increase the block size. It's probably not going to happen, but it's possible. But they say if you increase the the block size, then you're walking down a road where they won't be able to run these nodes from their house. These guys are smart engineers, and they know that every decision comes with a consequence somewhere. And you could you have you could have fast cheap or uh, what what are the three uh, in the in the the coding world? I know somebody knows this. It's like you can have good. Okay, yeah, you can have fast cheap good. So every once in a while, we have to switch that up and focus on one thing. All right. So right now we can focus on, on increasing the block size for a period. And then and as a community, switch over to, to focusing on layer two for a while. But without just having this idea that we're just going to reject one path of development forever, you know. All right. Sorry. Just to pause uh, before I put my glasses on, I thought we had Joe Rogan as a surprise guest. No, in fact, it's Kurt. Kurt, welcome. Uh, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, if you wanted to tell us a little about yourself and your history with crypto. Uh, so I'm the chief Bitcoin historian at coingeek.com. Uh, I have I'm sorry, been... we're, we're looking for experts here. Is there any of you know anyone who might be able to? Sorry, just kidding. Go ahead. Very few. No. <laughs> uh, so I've, I've been a Bitcoiner since 2012. Uh, I was involved in Mining back when you could mine with pretty simple equipment. I, I watched the I watched stuff change from GPU to ASIC mining, and I've been involved in the space for for quite a long time. So I'm here to here to help. I don't even actually know other than this is a Bitcoin talk. Somebody sent me this link and said, "Hey, I, I got this link from somebody that Stefan sent." So I'm here. Well, to it's, help, it's great but... to great to have you. <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate you joining us. Um... Oh, I have a question. The the Coin Geek. That's 
is I forget if I'm wrong. That's a Bitcoin SV like dominated. Coin Geek, Coin Geek is a member. Thing. Yes, Coin Geek is a member of the Air Group, uh, but the organization is mining on all three uh, SHA two fifty six derivations of Bitcoin. So they they mine BTC, BCH, and BSV blocks uh, on a regular basis. I don't think we've had a uh, like a, a BSV supporter on the show yet. So. No, and, and I'm sorry, we just got a comment. Uh, somebody has said, uh, given that you're a, a Bitcoin historian, I think we can all chip in and give you maybe 14 or $15 to tell us who Satoshi is. Is that uh, something you can, <laughs> unless it's you, unless it's it, you. It's, it's Craig Wright. It's, it's Craig Wright, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I, just, I assume it's an Irish guy, but just based on the name. But uh, uh, all right. So um, we, we're just talking about sort of criticisms of, of Bitcoin. We want to really absorb the blows, so to speak, and, and, and roll with the punches. So if you wanted to give us your thoughts on um, ways, as Shakespeare said, in which Bitcoin does, doth sucketh. I think I think that was the phrase. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you could tell us your thoughts, uh, I'd appreciate that. Uh, well, I, I think more than anything, I mean, Bitcoin's a technology. It's a, it's a tool. And, uh, you know, only, only humans act. So I think the things that suck about Bitcoin are the things that suck about people who use Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, that, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's 7 billion things as, as far as I see it. But I guess in the Bitcoin world, it's only really, truly a few million of us at this point. Uh, but as for the people that actually understand what Bitcoin is or what it's capable of, uh, Bitcoin really is two things. Uh, it's two words, right? It is bit and coin. And everybody's been very, very heavily focused on the coin part. Uh, I think people in a basic sense understand money, the, the concept of sound money, gold. Uh, people love this concept of digital gold that you can... Uh, store and share and keep away from the bad guys and that sort of thing. But uh, very few people talk about the bit part. Uh, they don't talk about computation and the value of data uh, and the value of having data that's distributed and, and that you can attach value to data, that you can monetize data in ways that are impossible any other way. Uh, and that's actually, when you read the white paper, uh, Satoshi's first problem that he brought up is that commerce on the internet is hampered by the high fees of centralized payment processors, which in 2008, when he wrote it, was uh, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal. I, I don't think there were many other payment processors on the internet in 2008. And he talks about the way that there's a massive amount of commerce that happens under the $5 fee mark that, that those things enable. And, you know, the conversation went uh, from that in the early days, but very quickly turned to, well, what we really need is this, this store value that can't be penetrated, can't be confiscated and all these different things. And a lot of that feature set was deprecated in order to focus on the coin aspect of Bitcoin. And for a very long time, we, we just haven't talked about the bit. We haven't talked about the data. And I'm a BSV supporter specifically because uh, we want to emphasize that about Bitcoin. Bitcoin's innate ability in script to deploy unstoppable applications, computer programs, overlay networks that allow uh, basically Bitcoin to be the, the backbone of, of everything. Uh, and it's not trivial, it's not simple, but it is possible. And if we put the, the greatest minds in, in the world on solving data problems, uh, data integrity problems, data ownership problems, you know, being a person who owns your data and isn't constantly getting scraped and raped by Twitter, Facebook, and Google, uh, I mean, that's an incredible amount of value that uh, it really deserves to be looked at. And so uh, that's that's what I'm most excited about. That's what BSV offers. It's the superlative that isn't available across any other blockchain uh, simply because they either don't scale, can't scale, or are purposely malicious uh, in that they are 
They exist that the, the token is the product. They, they just want to sell tokens and there's a lot of money there. So it's, it's juicy, but there are bigger, more important problems that Bitcoin can solve. So that's I, just, I like the about. hardcore rap element of scraped and raped. That's just, that's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's some gangster talk there. I, I appreciate that. Now, yeah. uh, so, so BSV, uh, can, can you, I don't want to say elevator pitch because we've got some time mm-hmm. here, but uh, it's not a, a, um, a value environment I know much about. So if you could mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about it, uh, history and, and problems sure. designed to solve and where it sits. Absolutely. So uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a protocol. Uh, the protocol enables a network and that network enables a distributed database. That's that's what Bitcoin is in, in a very basic sense. Uh, when people disagree about the way that that protocol should implement the database, the database can split. Uh, in 2017, the database split into Bitcoin BTC and Bitcoin Cash. Uh, the Bitcoin cashers wanted more data to be able to go over the network per per 10 minutes. BTC has this opinion that six megabytes of data should be the limit to how much data can go across the global network per 10 minutes ever, forever. It's So that's it, uh, between four and six. So kind of a kind of a small limit. I, I wouldn't buy a, a six megabyte hard drive or a thumb drive for anything personally. So Bitcoin Cash split. They were like, hey, we're going to be big blockers. We're going to we're going to try scaling on chain, see what comes of that. And uh, about a year later, uh, there was another debate about scaling back up again. So there was a 32 megabyte uh, block size limit in Bitcoin Cash. And uh, the other side, the people that became the BSV people uh, said, hey, we should every single opportunity we get, we should raise that limit. We should eliminate more hard and soft limits across the network. We should let Bitcoin grow organically. We should let the mining community decide the emergent block size limit of Bitcoin. Uh, and rather than having a software developer say, this is the hard limit in the code, let's eliminate these limits altogether and let miners decide how big of a block am I willing to try to propagate across the network? Because uh, if I fail, if I try to push a two gigabyte block across the network and nobody else wants to take it, then I fail. I've lost money. I, I have realized that emergent consensus is smaller than my, my you know, my will to push. So, so, so if I understand, sorry to interrupt, if I understand this rightly, mm-hmm. it's sort of like instead of a fishing limit, you, whatever you can dynamite to the surface, so to speak, it's just whatever fish you can get up. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, I mean, yeah. we, don't, we don't know what Bitcoin's capable of. We do not know what the software or the network or any of it can actually do because we've truly never tried. And, and the BSV community says, we're going to split off. We're going to take off all of the protocol level limits and we are going to let people push. Let, let's let people push the pedal to the metal and drive it around the racetrack until we all fly off. And when we fly off, now we know what we need to tune in order to keep the car on the track and do a faster lap next time. So that's that's the logic. Now, um, where do you sit uh, in, in BSV with regards to the programmability of the environment? Because uh, I was kind of, I, I took a couple of years off from Bitcoin because I got sucked into the mm-hmm. vortex of politics. Fun, fun though that was. Uh, and <laughs> when, and I had a pretty big presentation, I think it was 2014 or something like that, where I, I waxed reptotical about the programmability of a Bitcoin, the smart contracts, the automatic wills mm-hmm. if you show up in some obituary. And and, and when I came back and waxed reptotically about all of that stuff, people were like, no, 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 that's that was all on the, that was all originally there. Uh, but it's kind of been been slimmed out. So where do you guys sit in terms of the programmable environment? It is, it's the complete restoration of the original Bitcoin stack. So it is a complete programming environment uh, that allows you to loop scripts, have multiple scripts that can either sit and op return or push, uh, push data transactions. 
So you can upload, for example, you could push an entire operating system in a transaction, and then you can interact with that operating system higher up in the stack. You can also deploy overlay networks on top. Uh, so, I mean, what is Bitcoin from a physical standpoint, if not a distributed supercomputer network? Now, granted, they're specialized supercomputers, but uh, these miners can also deploy GPU acceleration of, of various processes. It's a distributed supercomputer. So if you can build it on a, on a computer, you can build it on Bitcoin SV. And, and right now, today, there are social networks that are deployed 100% on chain. You can interact with them. Every like, every interaction, every follow, every branch, which is sort of like a retweet, all of these things are, are transactions. Uh, you can also upload yeah. things. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, man, Stefan, I wish you would get on one of those things. The, uh, they, they got <laughs> memo.sv memo or memo.cash. Mm -hmm. It's like Twitter, but it's all on chain. And I, I just think it's so cool. And you would never get, you know, censored or banned again once right. you're on the thing. It's fully yours. You own the keys to that account. It's your property. And they can't I feel take like it. you're getting me drunk in a bar <laughs> and, and talking about not getting deplatformed. And oh, it would be so I've got great. My beer goggles on, man. Man, you look pretty good right about now. <laughs> let me tell you. Everyone would freak out, too, because you'd be, you'd be the biggest name on those platforms too so so you get a bunch of followers Stephen, real quick. If, if i recall i believe you're on a, a platform called streamanity and you may be on a platform called twitch uh, yes both yeah so uh, i'm i follow you on both but i, I you know I, I don't recall exactly where i see it because i follow you in a lot of places but uh the those are examples of things that are built on bitcoin sv um there's other people that, that have similar things but a lot of these things have rate limits that you wouldn't expect otherwise so uh, every other blockchain either has, you know, the number of scripts that you can push per transaction or the amount of operations that a script can produce, uh, you know, in, in a given time. But BSV has removed all of those limits. So you can deploy something that is is set to be uh, practically Turing complete. It's not technically Turing complete, but it is practically Turing sorry, complete. sorry, Turing complete. Can you? So it, this is a, a long sorry debate. Sorry to get all pointy hair on you, but if you can Dilbert <laughs> that up for me a little, that'd be excellent. For sure. Uh, a Turing machine is a really stupid name for a computer. Uh, Alan Turing invented modern computing. Uh, when if you a say program Turing machine, I just think the Eagles. But go ahead. So just <laughs> if if a program can run itself, if it can run in perpetuity as long as it has power, it is considered a, a Turing complete. Uh, so BSV is that you can deploy something with uh, application language that tells it to continue to run until the plug is pulled. So. No other blockchain. There are blockchains that do that, but they they have other limits that make it practically uh, not d dysfunctional, basically well, as well. Well, wait a minute. So my understanding of Turing complete is essentially if a problem can be solved by a computer, then mm -hmm. your then your programming language can do it. Correct. So it's essentially whatever space of problems can be solved by a computer. If your programming language is Turing complete, it can compute anything as computable. Yes. Well, okay. the, Ethereum's big, you know, selling point was that they said they were Turing complete, and mm -hmm. then uh, people in Satoshi's vision said, "Well, actually, if you think of how Bitcoin works, you could make it Turing complete if you are a little." Uh, from from my understanding, it's actually Turing completeness is actually relatively easy as 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 mm -hmm. the way it's been presented in the past. Right, please correct me where I'm wrong. Okay, this is it great. Is. Now, I uh, sorry, just since since some since, since uh, somebody did mention the word Ethereum, um, mm -hmm. I, I'm just wondering, and that I hope rage. you guys don't mind if I swear a little, because let me tell you my experience with Ethereum. 
over the last little while. So I thought, hey, NFTs are kind of cool. You know, I mean, I got deplatformed from everything except I think I can still trade in fucking Polynesian seashells somewhere in the past, or maybe I can use wasp hornet nests as earrings uh, in some alternate dimension. But anyway, so I'm like, yeah, let's try some NFTs. So I, I created one and I sold one. It was kind of cool. And then I thought, you know, well, I have this novel. It was a really good novel and I'll put a limited edition out, all this sort of thing. And I'll, you know, put it out for like 25 bucks or something like that. And anyway, so I got a screenshot. Did you see this, Jared, today? <laughs> the screenshot today where somebody was like, hey, it's great that your novels are out for 25 bucks, but why do I have to spend $200 to buy it? Holy crap. Ethereum, it's like, do not drop (laughs) your soap in the shower when Ethereum is around, man. You will be hitting a high note like you wouldn't even believe. Uh, Like, what the hell? What the hell is going on with that freak of a crypto where it's virtually 10 times the price of something that ain't two cents to to make a transaction? Gas fees? I mean, holy crap. I mean, are we in a Mad Max zone where gas has become as scarce as diamonds? Like, what the hell is going on with it? What am I not understanding? about about ethereum because i'm like yeah it's a crypto and i'm like wow ethereum makes like uh being robbed in an alley or fiat currency look like a positive productive experience i mean dear lord above i mean i'd rather get a tax bill than a gas bill from ethereum like Mm -hmm. help me understand what the hell is going on with a 25 dollar transaction costing more than 200 dollars you should oh, sue don't. them for all of the uh, therapy <laughs> fees you've incurred as a result of their <laughs> software. Absolutely. So Ethereum, e- Ethereum's funny because it is also no, no, Turing it's complete. No, not funny. I just wanted to interrupt <laughs> you right there at the beginning, my friend. <laughs> the fair. one thing it is not is funny. Maybe funny for you, not funny for yeah. me. So Sorry, the Turing completeness. So Ethereum is is something that would have been possible to deploy in the Bitcoin stack initially. And they removed this subset of this programmable. It's really programmable. This is why people develop in Ethereum is that the language is very discoverable if if you're a software guy. Um, The problem is it's only good for about 15 transactions per second globally. And when you get a lot of people around the globe, uh, you create traffic jams, which means the toll booth price gets higher. And that's what's going on in Ethereum. Uh, In Bitcoin SV, 15 transactions, 15 is about two and a half to three times more than BTC globally. Which is, you know, better. And, and sorry, what was, was the time frame for fifteen transactions per second? Per second, and fourteen yeah. of those transactions apparently are just being digitally punched in the gonads. I just though only one actually goes through; the rest of them are just them Mike Tysoning yeah. your nuts because uh, that's basically yeah. what seems to be happening. So they're fighting. They're fighting at the toll booth. That's what it is. Oh, is there is there is there a plan for this? Um, because it doesn't seem like even remotely. If I if I so, I mean I was a software developer guy, an entrepreneur guy, and if I had gone to anybody in, in this universe outside of a fucking insane asylum and said, I got a great crypto, it'll process a twenty-five dollar transaction for only two hundred dollars, they would have said, Okay, you know, get into that suit that lets you hug yourself and go back to painting stuff on the wall in your own shit. because uh, like what is the plan for this? So now you know the problem. That's the problem with both Ethereum and, well, and Bitcoin high fees. Well, well, it's, it's a temporary problem, though. It's Ethereum is is planning to fix it. They have they've been researching it for for years now of how to scale Ethereum. And by the way, somebody uh, wanted to know the the three the trilemma thing earlier today. Um, it's it's actually it's not the cheap, good, and reliable. It's two of those, right? Yeah. It, it's decentralized decentralized, secure, and scalable. 
no, 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 no. You're talking in the crypto world. When I brought that up, I was talking in the software world. They have something in the software world where it's like, do you oh. want it fast? Do you want it good? Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. in the crypto world, the challenge is to, to make a cryptocurrency that's decentralized, secure, and scalable. So, so Bitcoin is, is optimizing for decentralization and what they call security. Uh, and they're, they're okay keeping the scale small, which means they're okay with high fees. Um, whereas Ethereum is saying, no, like it is very important to keep the fees low so that we can scale out to different uh, developers. Scale well, out to different and it's features. functional. So, you know, it's, it's wonderful to hear these conversations. Let's get back to my needs, my needs and my needs alone. All right. Wait, yeah, you, you were asking how is Ethereum going to scale? And there's sharding. No, I, and I, wanted to, some... I wanted to go, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to go back to something that Ryan said, because I listen quite alertly to two things. And, and Ryan said two, two things that I thought were a little contradictory, and I'd just like him to break it out a little bit more, if you, if you don't mind, because it's kind of important to me. So you said, um, no, they're, they're, they're going to solve this problem, which s sounds good. And then you said, they've been talking about it for years. Now, <laughs> now, these two things do not appear to be in the same room without one of them beating the shit out of another one. Okay, They've so, so been... please tell me, which is it? Is it that they're going to solve the problem or they have been talking about it for years? And after talking about it for years, it's $200 for a $25 transaction. Is that the I result of them the, talking about the it for frustration. years? Help me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Sorry to blow They've been talking ears about it for years. years but... They've also been doing something about it for years. Uh, Ethereum. They're, yeah. they're in the, the, the early stages of transitioning to uh, Ethereum 2.0, and part of that is scalability, which means that they're going to be breaking Ethereum up into instead of one chain, there will still be just one chain, but there will be, I think it's 32 other uh, side chains that that connect with the, I think it's mm. called the beacon chain, Sub, or maybe that's sub called chains. Ethereum right now, Ethereum is taxing me 90 fucking percent on a transaction. Okay. Like, that is, that is like, that is some, that is some shitty leftovers. You know, that's Steph, like, I, I, like somebody, somebody eats the prime rib and you get one cow testicle and a fucking tail. Okay. So you, they, they need to like hit the gas on this thing. Because oh, I agree. If that's I could, why I you can buy they. a $25 thing with a, with a credit card, no problem. And, and it's like, why is it more like almost 10 times the price? Like, again, if this is the result of them working on it for years, I think that yeah. they need to get somebody else to work on the problem. I have to make the Tezos. Hold on, hold on, guys. I have to make the Tezos pitch now because they're already doing it. They're already proof of stake. You can have NFTs, smart contracts, all that good stuff. Plus the development is uh, governed on chain and paid on chain. There's avenues for that. Okay. So whereas Ethereum is planning on getting there, Tezos has already been doing it. And, and it, there's only more to come. Every three months it scales and, and, and adds something new to the chain. You know? Yeah, that's, NFT that's on Tezos? Tezos, yes. Tezos. It's, that te stuff I was telling you, you can get NFTs for like pennies in transactions on Tezos. Well, now I now I feel like the guy whose friend gave him good advice. You know, man, that chick, she's hot, but but man, she's unstable. I'm like, no, 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 man, I can talk her into being stable. And next thing you know, I wake up without a kidney and a tattoo of a swastika on my forehead. Right. <laughs> so thanks, I apologize. So, so, yeah, I'll listen just to, to you, clear, and I'm sorry I didn't earlier. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> just just to be clear, I'm not I'm not here defending Ethereum. That's not my that's not my coin. You know, I. I'm just here defending the fact that they're actually, they have a plan and they're working towards scaling. So as you'll get a different conversation from me 
depending on what I'm comparing, it's like what you always say, Steph, compared to what? So compared to fiat, Bitcoin is great. It's amazing. But compared to Ethereum, you know, Ethereum has a plan. They have the right roadmap. They're working on it. They're doing it. So that's great compared to Bitcoin. But compared to something like Tezos or some of these other coins that have engineered in scalability from the very beginning, including, you know, the coin that I'm most interested in, it, scalability is definitely achievable. And it's the only question is, can you get the scalability with the security and with the decentralization? And I think you can. So it's, to me, it's, it's not like a trilemma in the sense that you just, this is an impossible thing. It's a trilemma in the, in the sense that it's very difficult to do all these things. Um, but, you know, Bitcoin is just kind of like laid over and, it just looks like they're not even trying. Um, so that's the problem that I have with Bitcoin. Um, Who wants to I, take a swing at proof of stake versus proof of work and its relationship to scalability? Uh, Philip, I can't go. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'd like to follow up on whatever is said here. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you are welcome to. So I deal with this every day because we, we mine crypto, we mine Ethereum. Um, the, the problem I see with, so, so proof of work is the actual mining process, the actual validation of the, of the block, adding it to the chain and increasing the length of the chain. Proof of stake is people who are holders of that currency staking their holdings on the validation of transactions. Okay, you, you know you can't use the word in defining the word. So when you say proof of stake is people right. staking, I'm sure that's not going to help. So they're, break it down they're, they're pooling together their resources to uh, uh, to backstop the transaction. That they're almost financing the transaction beforehand. So it's their holdings kind of, borrow against the the, the transaction. Could I, could I jump in? Sense. Could I jump in real quick and clarify something? So. So proof of work and proof of stake are, they're both trying to say, they're, they're both saying you have to prove something to do two things. The first thing is you have to prove something in order for us, the Bitcoin network to allow you to create new coins. So you have to prove that you've done some work to do that, okay? That's one thing. The other thing is you have to prove in, in order to, for transactions, so moving coins. So there's creating coins and moving coins. And, and Bitcoin uses proof of work to validate both of those things. So Ethereum is, is using proof of stake to validate both of those things. It's saying in order to create new coins, you have to essentially have existing coins. That shows that you have a stake in the network and that you're the validator that you're running is not nefarious. So I'm giving a very simplified uh, explanation here, but when you're saying proof of work and proof of stake, the, the, the high level understanding is that these are things that you're trying that you have that the network requires you to prove in order to be uh, in order to both amend and well, amend the, the, the database, essentially, which is both creating coins and distributing re, redistributing coins or, or creating transactions. So that's what we're, we're requiring proof for. So just so that's just my addition well, there. And, and, and there's like often coins get locked up for a period of time. If you do something naughty, you lose them. So there's an incentive to make sure everything's on the level. Yeah, yeah a, because a, it, I mean, it's an open network. And so mm -hmm. it, 
for it to be open, you have to have some kind of rules that dictate, okay, it's open to anybody, but that doesn't mean that there's no rules. It's just like anarchy, right? Anarchy doesn't mean that there's no rules. It just means that, you know, the rules are voluntarily adhered to. And the rules that are voluntarily adhered to in these crypto networks are of two main sorts. And that's uh, proving that you've done some work and proving that you have a stake in the network. They're two completely different ideas, but they're, they're, they're accomplishing the same thing. Well, and, and proof of stake does use a very small amount of proof of work, but it's negligible. Yeah. It's negligible, yeah. The, the idea is that you're, you're signaling your intent to maintain your reputation. And in proof of work, that's how much value you can put into the network. And in proof of stake, it is about how much value of the network that you currently hold. So they're, they're different incentive models. So basically saying, hey, I'm heavily invested either in the coin itself, and therefore I want to keep the coin secure. But in proof of work, it's about, hey, I am willing to fight for this network uh, to, to actually maintain the validity of blocks uh, proactively. I'm willing to burn electricity and I'm willing to uh, buy these machines and have, you know, spend a lot of money uh, to, to continue to maintain the network going forward. Right. I'm and a, I, would, I would say to that that it's actually not, you said proof prove that you're adding value or something. You use the word value. I would push back a little bit on that. It's really not value. It's, it's work. It's, and more, more accurately, it's essentially electricity, which is just heat and noise. So at some point, all of that work is no longer valuable. And that's the, that's the distinction that I'm making with, with proof of work is that Yes, it's secure because you have to prove that you've done a lot of work to do to participate in this network. Um, but that doesn't mean it's valuable. It's valuable to the point that it's that's securing the network. But beyond the point of reasonable security, it's just waste. So in, in, a, in, in one sense, it's actually proof of waste. And that's what the proof of stake guys like Ethereum, like other uh, Tezos, I guess. I, I, I got to push back on that, Ryan, because... Uh, what's happening there when the proof of work model, especially uh, BSV, where uh, there's they they're competing for they they can choose whatever size block they're, they're willing to fight for, um, but any any proof of work, uh, you have it's not just like you got to burn electricity. That's that's not just what happens because you as a capitalist you've got to organize people. You've got to get you know get everything lined up. You got to invest in the hardware, the capital. It is proof of human will, as far as I'm concerned. That that's the way I see it, and and there's value in that. And people are on these networks, they are using them, and that's an expression of how they value them. Uh, so I, de I definitely see value. And even though I've, I'm Tezos sure. and Proof of Stake, Proof of Work is definitely yeah. uh, a great thing. That's it's valuable in the sense that, uh, you know, value is subjective. So who am I to say that it's not valuable? But it's not but valuable also, to me. Like, right. to me, after you've got to the point where you have a secure network, the energy input beyond that security is just waste. So that I, I is my subjective value. No, I, but I it disagree. Isn't. Because it's, what it's happens about... is, it, I, I say, what happens I... is all this effort gets put into securing the blockchain for that time. And the value, okay, you're saying the value is lost or is wasted at that point. But like I go and I buy a house, okay, when they do a title search, it's a chain of custody from the beginning of time. And that's where that old value is realized, is that we can re we reliably know where and how it came from way back there to, you know, right here and why it's still valid and good and a right chain. That's, that's where I see it still being value, value, valuable in perpetuity. 
Well, people people talk about the computer science implications of these terms. So proof of stake and proof of work in a computer science standpoint, you can have a conversation about the, the relative utility between them. But both concepts are actually based on real world economic principles of incentive. And proof of work is basically creating an incentive to make sure that the, the king of the network is the person who is both providing the most value to the network at the time, but also investing to provide the most value to network in the future. Whereas proof of stake is, is just, it's, it's the holdings of, of previous, it's, it's the work that they did before. So like a central bank, for example, is proof of stake. They exist in their power position because they were able to absorb a lot of capital and power and influence previously. And then their stake in the system as a whole allows them to steer the direction of our network, our, our nation or, or our world network uh, in the future. But that's based on previous work and previous power, which makes them lazy, which is why Federal Bank or Federal Reserve Bank, for example, is inefficient. It has poor incentives. We're, they're not incentivized to give us the best life. They're incentivized to maintain their power, uh, keep us happy enough, well, that, that well, kind of thing. Now I got to push back against you, Kurt, and defend proof of stake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it is not like, uh, first of all, I put my money into the network to stake it and invest it. And so those are people, and that was voluntary. I voluntarily earned, earned that money. It doesn't make me lazy. It makes me incented to maintain the security of the network and propagate all that good stuff. These people in these terrible positions who are who have pilfered money that they're just sitting on, they're not invested in interest in the people, that's often a lot of stolen goods they're, they're working with. You know, so- I, I completely and utterly disagree with the like the the, the central banking model for, for proof of stake. <laughs> I think I, what's your question, Steph, uh, specifically regarding the proof of work and proof of stake, because uh, I, we might be on a little bit of yeah. a. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I just wanted to uh, to break it out. Um, now, can, can we I got, I got an email uh, and I wanted to get people's thoughts on this. Now, just before I read this, I want to be clear. I've not vetted this. Don't know if it's all true. If it's not true, I apologize. Uh, but this is a criticism that somebody wrote about Core, right? Core is like the central code base of of, uh, of Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. So this is what he said. He says, I wrote out a few of my arguments for why I think Core is compromised. Um, he says, A, and, and again, you guys let me know if this is true or false, what you think of it. Uh, and I apologize if any of it is false. I've not vetted it, but uh, these are the criticisms. He said, A, they have a financial incentive. All the core developers work for a company called Blockstream. Blockstream's main product is a thing called Liquid. They call it a sidechain, but basically it's a payment network that runs on top of Bitcoin and they collect fees from it. If Bitcoin works as a payment network, Blockstream doesn't have a business model. They need Bitcoin to suck as a payment network in order for their product to have a place in the market. And, and I'm just wondering what you guys think of that, whether there's any truth or validity to it uh, and uh, um, if it's a valid criticism. Uh, I, I think it is a valid criticism to be worried about that. But just one correction, I do not think that all of the core developers for Bitcoin work for Blockstream. In fact, I'm pretty sure that that's not the case. Correct. Uh, but many do. And that is a problem if they're being funded from an outside source. So that's actually one of my key criticisms with Bitcoin. So I, I share this concern. that uh, Somebody, somebody Bitcoin, said here only a few core developers are Blockstream. Most of them are not. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, they're, so, they're key members. But, like they're they're influential members of of that group. There are hundreds of people that contribute to Bitcoin, but there are also the people that that garner the most uh, weight in their opinions and the maintainers, the people that even allow 
uh, upgrade um, proposals to be pushed to the rest of the network uh, is, know, is actually a very small group of people. Who, who's holding the repository keys right now? And for when anyone asking, that means who like, so uh, the Bitcoin code is hosted on somewhere like GitHub and mm. there's only people that hold these keys who can allow what actually officially goes in. Um, okay. Do we know who's holding the keys right now? It, is it Adam back? Or it Adam doesn't back? really matter. No. So first of all, I hear this criticism a lot. And while it's true that the Bitcoin co uh, core code base is on GitHub and there are keys in order to push and, and merge pull requests to that repository, it doesn't really matter because you could just as well, if there was a significant problem with Bitcoin core, somebody could just create a different repository. It doesn't even need to be on GitHub. doesn't even have to be in source control for that matter. If they can push out a, an implementation that follows the Bitcoin core protocol, that's all that matters. So it, it's sure, more but a, who's going to read from reputation of the core developers. Sure, but if, yeah. if we're asking about block streams like corruption, things like there, them mm -hmm. holding the repository keys or one of their employees holding the repository keys would be kind of interesting, I, I'd say. Uh, yeah, I think pe people say that uh, there's a choice as to what software you can run, but I, I don't know that the the Blockstream cabal has ever been practically uh, removed from winning that that battle. Uh, so right. they have you know, way I, too high of a reputation right now. Uh, so yeah. it, it's about reputation. But I, I think the bigger issue is with who is funding the developers of a cryptocurrency. So if your cryptocurrency is developed and funded by somebody outside of the cryptocurrency itself, that might be a problem. So <laughs> I think that there are, there are several cryptocurrencies whose core developers are funded directly from the mission of the, of the cryptocurrency itself. And that's and controlled by the stakeholders. So that to me is, is a better model. So it's just one more kind of nail in Bitcoin's coffin that they're, they're not able to fund the, the developers from the stakeholders. It'd be like having a company, but all of the employees are funded by some other company. That would be weird. <laughs> How are the shareholders going to feel about that? But like when you're creating new money, oh, Steph, you're muted. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, here's uh, there's another one, which is um, I I've heard this kind of story before. And if you guys know it, this may be in Kurt's wheelhouse, of course. In 2016, tw representatives of core met representatives of Bitcoin miners to discuss increasing the block size. At the time, miners were signaling that they were going to switch to running code produced by a different development team. The core developers promised the miners that they would double the block size if the miners promised to update their nodes to include a new feature called SegWit. SegWit was needed for Blockstream's liquid sidechain to work when the time came. They insisted that SegWit be activated months before the block size increase and the miners complied. Then after the core devs got what they wanted, they refused to include a block size increase in their code, even though it had promised to earlier. Do we remember these dark days of 2016, Kurt? It sounds a little bit more yeah. in your wheelhouse. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I've written about this at length. Uh, I, I call this the Bitcoin Civil War. This was one of the major battles. Uh, it, was a, it was a propaganda battle. And if you actually go up, something that I discovered after the fact. So I, I recall it from 2016. I was very much a big blocker. I supported the uh, the SegWit 2X upgrade and all of that. I was a big blocker. So, um, but what I came to realize after the fact is that if you follow the money, and this this goes up to most chains, I think you would be very surprised, or any, everyone would be very surprised if they look at where the funding came from on both sides of, of this. So you have 
companies like Coinbase, Kraken, uh, BitPay, and some of these other people that were on the, the big block side versus companies like Blockstream, Lightning Labs, and, and other players who were on the small block side. Uh, they often share quite a small group of Silicon Valley venture capitalists uh, at, at the top. So I've, I've come to theorize, and I, I don't have absolute proof, so I don't want to oversell it, but I, I've come to theorize that perhaps uh, the whole thing was was sort of a uh, controlled opposition collusion thing because the Chinese miners, the miners are primarily Chinese, uh, didn't seem to understand the subterfuge at play. Uh, they were made a deal. They they understood and and liked the idea of scaling block size and and they were signaling it for many months. They were putting flags in their block headers as they put them out, and saying, you know, go Segwit two X. We want the update. We want the upgrade. And so it was very, very clear what, what their intentions were. And then there was a very weird switcheroo that, that occurred. Uh, a lot of people got stabbed in the back. And uh, stuff got really, really weird for a while. That's why Bitcoin Cash split. Uh, the, the certain smaller group of miners uh, basically said, hey, we don't understand what your politics are or what's going on here, but we all agreed to something and you have reneged. And we're going to continue with the roadmap that we agreed upon and if that's Bitcoin Cash, we don't really care what you call it. And that's when they decided to start mining both chains uh, in parallel. So it's a, it's a weird time, but I encourage everybody to, to follow the money. Uh, look at the portfolio page of Digital Currency Group, and you will see uh, a lot of very, very strange bedfellows all uh, call the same couple of people boss. So, Do you have any of this written out anywhere? Uh, so I'm an author at coingeek.com. Uh, you can find a lot of my articles. I have a history series. Uh, they're numbered. So you can go from the very beginnings of Satoshi before it launched. Uh, and I have a number of articles that touch on very specific, very weird issues too. But yeah. All right. So here's another uh, criticism. Uh, they say, um, at the time, core proponents said that it was immoral to change the code if not everyone agrees to it. That doesn't make sense because they had no problem making an enormous controversial change to Bitcoin's design. But if anyone wrote code that disagreed with Core's code, it was an attack. I vaguely get what he's talking about there, Kurt. Does this uh, ring a bell for you? Absolutely. So uh, a couple of the people that were particularly bad, there was Gregory Maxwell uh, and Luke Dash Jr. Uh, were both very particularly toxic developers in that um, both were very... Uh, Greg, Greg Maxwell uh, has connections to the Tides Foundation and Wikimedia. Uh, he's a professional social engineer, uh, filed tax returns from a couple of addresses in Dulles, uh, Virginia, which is common for CIA agents. But uh, he, <laughs> he was a very big contributor in that era uh, to Bitcoin Core's uh, code. He's also a contributor to a lot of other things. He's an incredible software engineer, but uh, he pushed for a lot of very specific things under the guise that Bitcoin was fundamentally broken, that it was dangerous, that it lacked a bunch of necessary security protocols. Uh, and so he was a big fan of re-engineering and redeveloping. And it was, he really cared about Bitcoin and we're going to fix it. And anybody that, that questions him is, is a fool. They're, you know, all these different things. So there was a big sock puppet troll war. Uh, but then you had Luke Dash Jr., uh, who is himself also a very weird fellow. Uh, but he, he created a bunch of blacklists, which means that uh, when you push software out, so you might do a, a special bit of software for a server project or something and say, hey, you want a Bitcoin integration? And in that Bitcoin integration, they were censoring uh, censoring addresses um, to players like BitPay. Uh, BitPay was the big one uh, that, that was very upset that they, um, they had their uh, main public key address blacklisted in a distribution of Linux uh, that, that came out from Luke Dash Jr. 
And that created a whole bunch of problems. Uh, that was a big reason uh, that Roger Ver, who's the CEO of Bitcoin.com, uh, came out heavily in support. He's a big investor in BitPay as well, but he immediately was like, hey, this is the absolute antithesis of Bitcoin to have some software developer blacklisting the public key addresses of one of the flagship companies in the Bitcoin space at the time. BitPay was a very big deal. Uh, Stephanie, that almost strikes me as an industrial espionage or, or sabotage or something like that. Yes. Furthermore, uh, you want to really look into some craziness. Uh, look at the DDoSing of the entire ISP in the county where Mike Hearn lived. Uh, Mike Hearn is a British developer. He was the, a Google. The, sorry, did you say the county? Did like the entire? Yes. Is this? Oh, this is the guy. Is this the guy who's like he couldn't get any good internet, and he just goes down the street to the pub, and nobody can get any good internet because the entire area <laughs> has been blanketed with these denial of service attacks. I, I think that's a story Chris was sharing with us in the last. Yeah, week. yeah, yeah. So Hearn, yeah, Hearn, Hearn was a proponent for Bitcoin XT, which was another early big block version of Bitcoin. Uh, he was one of the main developers in the core repo at the time. Uh, and in 2013 and 14, uh, he started to push out and say, hey, if we want two megabyte blocks, like we can test with my software, it's ready to go. He was an engineer from Google. He was a very talented fellow himself. Uh, people started saying, no, it's, it's unsafe. It's very dangerous. Bitcoin XT is going to bring the network down. Well, very funny, uh, when his nodes started to go online and miners started to favor the Bitcoin XT nodes for their efficiency and for the opportunity to mine bigger blocks, all of a sudden the ISPs that are all around where he's got these nodes set up start dropping off the line. They get they keep getting uh, denial of service attacked. And uh, it got so bad that he plainly just pulled his, his nodes off the network for the sake of the people that he lived around saying, sorry, I'm under attack by you know an unknown troll army. But I think everybody basically knows who was, we know who orchestrated it, although so basically uh, you know, you we're had not. Civilian collateral damage in the blockchain yeah. wars. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. Here's another one. He says they're wrong about important stuff. A big argument Core said at the time for why we shouldn't do a block size increase was because they said SegWit was already a block size increase. SegWit rearranges data in the block in a way that, in theory, can trick a miner into thinking a block is smaller than it really is. Core said, that effect would roughly double the amount of transactions the network could process. Then they said, if we do a doubling of the block size on top of SegWit, that would really be like a quadrupling of the transaction throughput. That would be crazy dangerous. Yeah, In reality, it. SegWit had almost no effect on transaction bandwidth. Sorry to keep going back to your well, Kurt, but uh, um, you, you almost <laughs> got like a facial tick, if not a tear forming in the corner of your eye. Does this uh, ring a bell for you as well? I love it. You know, I could be doing anything else with my time right now, Stefan. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, but yes, SegWit, um, what SegWit does is, let's take one step back. Bitcoin is essentially a chain of digital signatures. Those signatures have a certain amount of weight to them uh, and how much space they take up in a block. If you aggregate those signatures and you hash them, you can process all those signatures separately, put them outside of the block, and it is just a hash that represents hey, this X amount of signatures were in this block and we'll give them to you if you request them. Uh, so now you can fit more transactions in this block because that signature data has been hashed separately. Um, in theory, sure, it sounds great. Uh, in my opinion, the bigger issue is that it, it changes the transaction malleability. So you can't re-reference those signatures easily, which lets you play different data games. I'm a big fan of the data capabilities of Bitcoin. So uh, those things become locked down uh, so rather than being a scaling tool, I think SegWit is much more of a tool for the sake of uh, Liquid and Lightning Network. Uh, it acts as a way to lock a block down so that it can't be changing while your coins are doing something on a 
pegged side network. Uh, so without SegWit, um, you can't trust what's going on on the blockchain uh, without something like SegWit. It, it, they call it a, the malleability fix. And there's a few ways to do it, but SegWit is, is obviously was the winning uh, version so that things can go off uh, off chain onto liquid onto lightning that kind of thing you know i i always generally this is back from being a software um i was chief technical officer head of research and development whenever a coder came to me with a totally confident solution to a massively challenging problem immediate red flags like this chest thumping i've sorted it and it's like Maybe you have. And so when I wrote my book, Universally Preferable Behavior, like the solution to the age old problem of how do you get ethics without gods and government? The first thing I said was, hey, man, the odds of me getting this right are so infinitesimal that I can completely understand your skepticism. And I'm, I'm as skeptical as you are. Like, let's work through it together. But there's so many people in this area who are like, you know, we've got it. We've got this this huge like the routing problem, one of the huge unsolved problems in computer science and everyone's like oh yeah we'll we'll get it sorted out it's like are you really i mean do you, is that just across your fingers and to me it's like oh, oh i'll play the lottery man i don't need to save my retirement lotteries like this lightning network thing right so everybody recognized that there was a big issue with transaction throughput but they said no 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 we've got the lightning network which is kind of like uh magic you know that there, there's a magic thing that's going to happen uh, you know, like that old, uh, it's not even a meme, it was like an old um, science thing where uh, there was a huge bunch of equations on the left-hand side of the board, a huge bunch of equations on the right-hand side of the board, and then in the middle was a cloud which says, and then a miracle happens. And one of the guys reviewing it says, I'd really like it if you could break out this middle part a little, because, you know, that seems a little bit like a leap. So the core dev said, you don't have to worry about transaction throughput because the Lightning Network is coming, which is what, like five years ago? And, and where is it working, uh, even in concept? They said, uh, this guy says, they promised it would be like a giant mess network so people could still pay each other peer to peer. But when they were asked how payments were supposed to route through the mess network, which is the most important part of the concept, they just pretended it would be this easy thing to solve and they'd figure it out later. The Lightning Network today is like four big banks that have payment channels with each other. You have to custodially deposit your money with them because there's no way to route your payments without their assistance. It's nothing like what they promised and said would be ready years ago. Um, the routing problem is one of the hardest unsolved problems in computer science and the core devs were betting everything that they would just, poof, it's a kind of magic. They just figure it out, right? And and how does that, how did that play? Well, I, I actually shared a really funny thread uh, a few days ago across Twitter. A couple of guys lost a bet. It was an Ethereum guy versus a Lightning Network guy lost a bet. And they were, they, had 25 messages between them trying to figure out how the hell to send each other a thousand dollars over lightning network. And it was, send me an invoice. No, send me another invoice. Oh, okay. No spool me up this other channel. No. Okay. Now I need to download another lightning wallet. No, no. I need, and it was just, I, it was hard to believe it was real. Honestly, like it was so comedic. It was like Benny Hill, uh, fast motion, you know, the clown and monkeys running by the screen. And it was just, absolutely uh insane and Do you know sorry just interrupt for a second here did you know that the w in in weth the w stands for where the fuck did my ethereum go that's something that not many people know they think it's something else but that's that's an important consideration there for the acronym for sure so i actually have a theory about lightning network um it's it's the traveling salesman problem the routing problem like they, they these are major computer science issues that like you said have not been solved However, I think Lightning Network is a meme. Uh, going back to those venture capitalists again. It's a meme, uh, did you say? 
It is. It's a meme. It's okay. It's what do you more. mean by that? No, what do you, no seriously, <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? When somebody says, "Oh, Bitcoin," you know, can scale like the, or can't scale, the response is always Lightning Network. But it's exactly that. It's like, well, what what does that mean? And it's it's an unsolvable thing. So it's on Twitter or on other social media places. It's it's literally like show this guy the Lightning Labs logo or or the C Lightning logo, and then just. Go on. But, Lightning solves it. But, Don't ask. But Jared, how. we're you know when we set up this Sphinx thing, right? I mean, that's that's Lightning. Stuff's True. moving. We we sent stuff back and forth. I mean, tell me tell me where like it's not vaporware, right? The, that is true. Now I, I've been critical of the Lightning Network and everything like that, and we got Sphinx set up in the Breeze Wallet and had some technical issues here and there. But all in all, it does what uh, what it says it will do. And now given. Uh, the Breeze wallet has a maximum limit on the amount you can even deposit there. And they tell you up front, like this is, uh, you know, this is beta where and like you could lose all your values. I mean, and that's, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I have to say it did at least it, it, it beat my expectations. You know, it is it's working. We can get at some or we can get steps, some Satoshis and it's great, you know, in that sense. Yeah. Right. There are there are compromises that can be made to make it work. It's it's not completely worthless in every situation. However, it's quite a bit different <laughs> in implementation. I saw that in the review box. <laughs> Kurt says yeah. it's not completely useless in every situation. Woohoo! Let's get some funding. <laughs> right. and, yep. and here's the thing. To me, okay, Lightning or second layer solutions are a universal crypto thing. It's like HD wallets. We, When we create HD wallets, we create that for all cryptos. Okay. When we create a second layer solution methodology that works, it's it's not going to be that hard to say, okay, now this one, we can use it for a theorem. We can use it for this. We can use it for that. Great. You know, so that that's the way I view the second layer stuff. It's not just going to be for core and we can do other things with it when it is actually working, you know, prep for prime time. <laughs> Sorry, I need to, inter- in, uh, somebody else came up with a better joke than I did. Uh, so I'm going to have to just erase that. Hang on. Mm-hmm. No, they said um, it's called wrapped Ethereum because you're going to get fucked so hard by gas fees. You need some protection. Wrap it up, man. <laughs> Wrap it up. That's that's not 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 too bad a way of putting it. All right, so let's close this criticism on uh, censorship. Now I talked about this, or you guys talked about it, and I gave you some feedback, at least my thoughts on it last time. But let's do um, uh, a backdrop here. So here says our Bitcoin and BitcoinTalk.org were the main forums for Bitcoin discussion back in the day, and one day the moderators of both forums just literally started deleting and banning everyone who talked about the original scaling plan. Thousands of people making rational arguments got banned. I got banned, says this guy. It only looked that was it only looks like there was consensus to change the scaling plan because they banned everyone who disagreed with core from the CEO of Coinbase in 2016. He quotes, there continues to be rampant censorship on our Bitcoin regarding this debate, which is unfortunate. I continue to encourage everyone to move to RBTC as an alternative that is censorship free. In case you weren't aware, RBTC is the main forum for BCH discussion. That's where everyone went when they were banned from our Bitcoin. Then later, the split happened. Bitcoin Cash had to make take a new ticker. That's why it has the wrong subreddit name. Also, I wanted to mention Coinbase used to be very vocal that they were only ever going to be a Bitcoin company. And it was after that meeting, they realized they needed to diversify because the CEO of Coinbase, quote, realized we had a much bigger problem, the systemic risk to Bitcoin, if Core was the only team working on uh, Bitcoin. Now, I think some of you guys bear the battle scars. See, my battle scars were the election uh, in, in 2016, but I think your battle scars were the other um, uh, area well. well. The election of 2016 resulted in my censorship in 2020, but this was a, a wrapped up censorship in, in 2016. And, and who remembers these 
these battles with the vividness of uh, a 300 ab, rock hard ab Spartan warrior. I'd actually like to give a fun fact. A lot of people don't know this. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, most of what he wrote is available today on Bitcoin Talk. Uh, however, he never wrote a word on Bitcoin Talk. Uh, early on, he, he owned Bitcoin.org and Bitcoin.org was where the original forums were hosted. It was only after Satoshi disappeared that Bitcoin Talk was spun up by uh, a guy named Marty Malmi uh, and a guy named Thamos. And they, uh, they moved those forums from Bitcoin.org over to Bitcoin Talk. And there's some evidence that some things may have been changed, some of Satoshi's words, but unproven. But uh, a lot of people say, well, oh, Satoshi, Satoshi wrote this on Bitcoin Talk and just not the case. So little, little. So we, we have there. like uh, Dead Sea Scrolls authentication issues with the original <laughs> yes. theology text. Okay. Quite a bit. Okay, got it. Yep. But now, and now I, I, I'd sort of poo-pooed some of this censorship last time saying, you know, it's kind of a Nietzschean will to power universe when it comes to these kinds of battles. But uh, that's, you know, banning thousands of people and, and completely shutting down discussion. If that description of what happened is accurate, that does seem to be somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat serious. That's accurate. That's, that's an accurate description from, yeah. from where I stood then. Yeah, and they say that the reason why they need to go down this protocol evolutionary path is to ensure censorship resistance. And then they're all about censorship <laughs> in a different spot. And and again, we need to you know man up and just expect this sort well, of stuff. Which, you know, but still, they didn't, like Stefan, you said, it's one thing for a company to ban you but it's one thing, but they should tell you the kind of the reasons ahead of time. And then if they change the reasons, then there's there's kind of an ethical. Well, you know, in, in, in most of the places that I was banned from, I had these quaint little things called terms of service. And, uh, you know, like a naive, trusting, virginal fool, I was like, well, you know, clearly I'm complying with what they want. And if they have any issues, uh, you know, a big enough guy, they'll talk to me or at least they'll give me some warnings or tell me what the issues are. And it's like, nope, boom, you know, smoking crater where 15 years of work was and the terms of service meant nothing. And that's my issue. My issue, of course, with the censorship is that, look, if if PayPal, if, if YouTube had said, hey, man, if you talk about the science of IQ, uh, you're fucking out of here, man. That's that science that we we simply don't countenance. Or if you like smart people having babies, fuck you, you're gone, right? I mean, if if they had simply said, if you criticize Marxism because somehow you feel that the hundred million ghosts is a bit of a burden to bear on your soul, and you don't want it to happen again, uh, you know, if if you criticize the ethics of the people who want to murder you in your sleep, that's totally against. Uh, if you oppose the violence of communism, that's totally. If they had just said that. You know, like I, I don't send my articles to fucking Mother Jones because they're all hard leftists out there and they're not going to be friendly to a free market guy. They're not deplatforming me because I'm not going to build a presence there. But if they say, hey, we're free speech, all legal speech is allowed and blah, blah, blah. And then they just invent these nebulous bullshit terms, which are never defined. And then they ban you without any due process or any feedback or any warnings or any anything like that. Then that, that's just straight up corporate fascism. That's straight up corporate fascism. And the idea that it's a private company. Yeah, it's a private company. Does that mean the bank can triple your mortgage payment on a fucking whim? No. 
because you got a contract with them, right? So they're not supposed to be able to do that shit, right? Can 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 your doctor say, oh, by the way, uh, I've just decided that you owe me a kidney and then drug you and take it out with a fucking spork? No, of course not, because you've got a reasonable, decent contract with these guys. Can, can Tylenol say, oh yeah, uh, one out of a hundred pills is going to be a psychedelic roofie that's going to have you, uh, you know, higher than... Uh, 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 Timothy Leary on a, on a fucking space shuttle. Well, no, they can't do that because there's a little thing on the side that says, here's what's in it, right? So the idea that we can just rip out contracts and just willy-nilly do whatever the fuck we want, well, that's my issue with these companies. Not that they're private entities, but because they're lying, cheating, uh, adulterous with the state, uh, crazy, psycho, stalker, denialists of, of reality, you know, to put it somewhat mildly. So, yeah, I mean, this is my ambivalence around PayPal. Yeah, you're assholes. Yeah, you 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 weren't pretty you weren't very protective with my personal information to put it mildly. On the other hand, you're taking Bitcoin now, which is bringing the price up. So you know, e- even Steven, right? So um, shit, probably. <laughs> Don't give Sorry. them any ideas. Censorship, Stephon. yeah, yeah, censorship. Sorry. The last thing we want is these terms of service to be extended everywhere else in life. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I would not be surprised if five years from now they try to pull this shit on us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny because I wrote many years ago about social enforcement through uh, ostracism, but there was supposed to be due process and uh, all of that. And uh, well, I mean, you've got people on you got twelve, you know, twelve-year-old interns on Twitter yanking prominent um, immunologists' uh, opinions about COVID. It's like uh, it's it's like rule of the idiots these days. All right, so. Um, as far as criticisms of Bitcoin, I mean, there's some pretty serious stuff here, and 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 I think it is it is really uh, important. I think people think of Bitcoin like it's just some objective decentralized thing, like TCP/IP and so on. And uh, I guess if if we could just go around the table for a sort of closing statements about this kind of stuff, and remember that in in the, the fallibility and the power lust of the coders is a problem in Bitcoin, and also a problem that Bitcoin is trying to solve, because However much there may be, and I'm sure there are assholes uh, uh, even in this roundtable. No, but however much there are, are assholes in the Bitcoin core development group and all of that, at least they're not central bankers, right? So this this level of potential corruption and dishonesty and manipulation and power lust and banning, okay, uh, it's not great, obviously, but if it wasn't present, we'd put these guys in charge of the Federal Reserve and it would be a beautiful system, so to speak, right? So it's almost like a self-defining uh, problem that this power lust does occur. And uh, that's why um, something like crypto, however it's going to shake out, seems uh, seems pretty necessary. So uh, if you guys want to give me final thoughts on, on whatever you feel like, I'm, I'm happy to hear. I got it. Bitcoin Core, you've got to compare it to state malice, vice, and incompetence to make it look good. But it still looks good. <laughs> that's a fair point. All right. Ryan? Uh, let's see. Uh, final thoughts. So have you been working out? Would you, would you take off your shirt? Cause you're looking, looking pretty buff there. <laughs> Come on. Let's only fans it just for a moment, man. Just kidding. Go <laughs> ahead. Sorry. Um, so my main, I think my main point is that why are we, why do we need to just advocate for Bitcoin at this point when we have so much evidence that there's, there are problems there. Um, so I've, I've heard your, argument that like, well, people aren't going to understand all these different coins and everything. And that might be true, but I think it's only a, it's only a five minute conversation max to get somebody from understanding Bitcoin to understanding something that's better. So my, my hope would be that 
you know, we who value freedom, that we just get behind cryptocurrency in general rather than Bitcoin uh, because Bitcoin is compromised and I don't want to send somebody on a life raft that's got a hole in it. But isn't it, wouldn't it be the case, though, that the, the exact same personalities that were present in Bitcoin would be present in every single potential of value? Like, I mean, so we say, OK, well, that's, it's sort of saying like, well, some other dev team is going to be pure of heart. It's sort of like saying, well, the next communist revolution is going to be full of selfless people who just want the best for mankind. I mean, if, if this is the fallen nature of man, going back to my early Christian uh, uh, understanding, which I'm really gravitating back towards, the fallen nature of man is, OK, so we could just replace the assholes in Bitcoin with the assholes in some other crypto. Uh, Tezos accepted, of course, because Jared looks pretty, pretty tough. But um, I mean, isn't it the case? I mean, I'm happy to hear otherwise, but it would seem to me that, okay, well, we could start again from scratch, but you know, the same, uh, the, the, either either people are, uh, the people who, who succeed are these kinds of hard driven, you know, hard nosed, no compromises, amoral kind of people, or as something begins to succeed, they, you know, they just kind of glom in and, and, you know, suck onto you like some squid monster on John Hurt's face in a spaceship, right? So that's always my question is, okay, let's say some other crypto starts to bust through the roof. And I know this from when I was a software guy and we went public with the company and the, the financial squid sucker vampire assholes just kind of glommed in on the company and they're, oh, there's a little bit of money to make. And they stick their beak in your jugular and suck out your third born uh, through your ass, right? And so... I guess my concern is we can take the challenges uh, of, of, of the Bitcoin people or we can go some other place and say, well, I'm sure that's going to remain pure. And I don't I don't know how that plays. OK, so it's the same argument that you have to make for the free market in general. So the free market in general, the argument isn't that the free market is full of great, you know, um, altruistic people. The argument for the free market is that there's competition and that okay, the competition is what makes a great product. So if we're just putting all of our eggs in the Bitcoin basket and we don't have anything else that we're advocating, then they're gonna get real comfortable. Um, you know, if you took it to the state level, anytime that there's a monopoly, there's a you know lower service and higher costs. And that's what is happening with Bitcoin. So the solution to that is to just let, you know, let Bitcoin fall on its own sword, which is kind of what it's gonna do, I think. And if, if there is competition, there will be, you know, two, three, 10 other coins waiting in the wings that are that can be transferred from Bitcoin to them just like that. And it's easier. It's not it's not just it's not not a difficult conversation. It's actually an easier conversation to bring somebody into one of these other uh, coins that's doing it better. Um, and, and without the other coins, I think if I understand your point correctly, without the other coins nipping at their heels, there's absolutely no way the Bitcoin's going to remain honest, right? Because they, they don't don't have that risk of of losing out. All right, uh, Philip, did you want to jump in? Tim, we'll get you, I promise, man. Before the light vanishes and you return to your natural bat form, we will get to you, I promise. Uh, but Philip, if you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I would say everything we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes shows that the priority in those three things, decentralization, security, and scalability, should be decentralization over scalability. And that's what Bitcoin is doing. That's what staying away from something like proof of stake does. It, it creates an, a, a more uh, uh, more even playing field with more people on it rather than a, a more centralized banking type structure where the people who have the most money or have the most Bitcoin have more control. If you, if you favor something like that at, to get the scalability, you lose the decentralization, which leads to the problem we were just talking about. 
Tim, I feel like you had something to say. Can can you shine the light from below so you come across full Hitchcock? Like you're going to tell us a story about a guy with an axe around a campfire when I'm 12 and I wet, wet my pants. But sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I had a couple thoughts. So one is when I first got in, I remember people would say, oh, well, this thing is going to come about. And then it didn't mature. I'd get so excited. I'd tell everybody this thing's going to happen. And then it didn't happen. And then another thing and another thing. So I've completely worn out when it comes to expecting something to happen just because someone says so. Uh, I do not believe that what the developers say until it actually is something that I can use. Um, but that's one thought. And then another one was um, like the, uh, oh, it's so stressful. Cause I'm like, I know every second is like a hundred thousand seconds wasted in the world or so, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, like it, it, without comp competition is what keeps people honest. So like the Bitcoin, with, if there was no other cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin would get, get just a little bit better than the dollar and then stop there. And then, so in order to keep it, like it needs the competition behind it to uh, to keep it honest, I think. And then, so that it it absolutely the whole the cryptocurrency needs competition in order for these things to, uh, to for it to for this whole thing to work out well. So it's important that these other projects are happening. And then the Bitcoin. One thing that just freaks me out about listening to the Bitcoin core people is they really don't believe that. They believe that the the whole system would be better without the competition. That's a common thing you hear in that community. Tribalism is one hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted to thank you, Tim, for um, the wonderful impersonation of Jeff Goldblum. Uh, in, uh, I'm waiting to see a, a lawyer get his ass bitten in two right behind you. Uh, so thanks very much for that. And uh, let's go back to our gallery view here. Uh, Seth, is there something that you want to mention as we close up? Yeah. So as we discussed, there are legitimate critiques of bitcoin it's not all of this bullshit oh but what about the energy or oh what about this or what about that and to me i think we could sum up most of the issues we discussed in the form of convenience right for the end user it, it's slow it's expensive it's difficult for the average person to support it and that's why i say i'm not invested in any particular coin yet I, i'm looking for for someone to actually solve these problems of scalability and security and performance. And then I want to throw all my weight into whoever that is. And I haven't seen any coin convince me that they're there yet. There's lots of plans to get there, which, you know, it, it reminds me of in, in Spider-Man two, there's a scene where he, you know, he's late. Peter Parker's late on his papers, right? And he tells his professor, I'm planning on doing a paper on this really amazing thing is, his professor says planning is not a major at this university, right? <laughs> right? We're, we're seeing a lot of hype and a lot of promises, but as you've pointed out before, right? The sales team makes wild promises. And then the developers have this crazy set of requirements they have to conform to to make it happen. And I, I'm seeing a lot of the sales side. I'm not seeing as much of the delivering. It's going slower than I would expect. So, I'm very cautiously optimistic. Somebody's going to win. There's trillions of dollars on the line. I just don't know who it is. No, that's a that's a good point. And um, my my constant battle. I, I wrote about this in a novel called The God of Atheists. And my constant battle as a software guy was uh, uh, the pathological falsehoods of the marketing guys. 
and and trying to backfill. They got great bonuses, got to go home on the weekend, and I bled away my youth uh, typing in a screen. All right. Uh, well, uh, Kurt. Yeah, sorry, somebody wanted to say? Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. So it just occurred to me, too, that if you know my crypto of choice was in the lead, I probably wouldn't want competition either. So I probably shouldn't judge you know that community as much as I do. Well, no, I get what you're saying. So uh, a minor entrepreneurial story. Um, so when I, I started my company, uh, it was a very new space, this environmental management software. And then uh, I read that IBM was IBM was marching into the space. And I was like, oh, great. You know, there's like 12 of us here. And now IBM is going to roll us over like uh, King Kong on Godzilla, right? on, on Bambi. But uh, my partner said, no, 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 it's a good thing because we've got a better product. They'll go out and advertise the shit out of this space. And then uh, we'll go and everybody will find us because we've been around longer. And then uh, we'll go in and we'll kill the presentation because you're great at presenting this stuff. And I was. And so, yeah, it ended up being a huge bonus to us. So competition is almost always a good thing. Uh, sorry, Kurt, if you want to look to your left. Somebody may have. <laughs> yeah. Somebody may my, be there that you're not aware of. Yes, my my delightful wife. Uh, oh, does she want to say me. hi? Would you like to say hi to Stefan Molino, dear? <laughs> Come on, that that's that's an homage hairstyle if I ever saw it from you. Hi, right. nice to meet you. Hi, oh, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Good. Thanks for dropping by. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll return him soon. None the worse for wear. Well, not totally the worse for wear, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for lending us. Uh, Lending us your delightful husband for the evening. It's been a great addition to the conversation. Awesome. No problem. All right, Kurt, take it home, brother. All right. Well, uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I'm going to be a bit of a contrarian to the other people's uh, opinions here. I, I actually think that Bitcoin itself is competition. Uh, the network itself is innately competitive. Uh, and I think it is actually better when people take a step back uh, and stop looking to, you know, everybody mentioned developers. Uh, we need developers to do this, but we need developers to do that. And I actually think developers, uh, software people um, have a tendency to think that they can solve all problems, but uh, <laughs> I, especially in the blockchain space. And I, I think there's this power, and, and I say this as someone who's a, a semi-capable software guy, but um, <clears throat> they look at these things as, as technical problems that can be solved with a technical solution that we just need to make better software. We need to create better incentives in software. And they ignore the the inbuilt incentives of, of human interaction uh, that Bitcoin really gives us. And if, if we can humble ourselves a little bit and say, maybe we cannot create perfect software, but perhaps game theory, a perfect game theory can allow imperfect software to create an exponentially better world uh, if we're willing to compete for it. And that's truly what Bitcoin gave us as, as a as a protocol in, in the white paper, and then really in the initial implementation, if you really read what Satoshi had to say about these things, uh, Dan Larimer and James Donald were two guys that very early on told Satoshi that he didn't understand Bitcoin, <laughs> that, no, this will never work. It can't scale. You need all these nodes to do all these different things. And, and Satoshi, and frankly, laughed at them and said, no, you don't understand. It can do all of these things, and, and here's how, and here's why. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the Dan Larimers of the world won because Dan Larimer is quite a bit more talented a software programmer than Satoshi Nakamoto was. EOS, from a, a code standpoint, if you look at the, the actual software development and engineering that goes into it, it's extremely thoughtful. It's very, very elegant uh, from a software standpoint, but it has constant governance problems. Uh, EOS has had multiple splits of the network and, and all these things, and it's because for some reason, 
you get to this certain level of intelligentsia where you believe that you can solve all problems for all people. And so you keep building a bigger and bigger set of solutions that apply to a narrower and narrower set of people that can understand the solution you're proposing to them. And I think Bitcoin's beauty is its simplicity. It has a very readable, very simple eight-page white paper. Not a lot of jargon. There's two pages of some jargon, but most of it is, is just plain paragraphs explaining an economic incentive that creates a network that can change the entire face of the global economy just through good incentives. And I believe truly uh, that if we, if we treat it the way that it's meant to be treated, if we really let proof of work govern, it removes the power from money completely. Mm. Uh, but we have to actually compete. Miners have to not be passive. They have to take their role. They have to be the honest nodes that Satoshi described in the white paper. And then they have to fight for Bitcoin too. And, and frankly, they haven't for a long time. They, they took a back seat to the software engineers. They took a back seat to the venture capitalists that showed up with, frankly, a lot of money. And, uh, and now we've got this economy of 6,000 chains that all do kind of the same thing in, in different ways. And, and they compete with each other across a Venn diagram that is mostly crisscrossing. And I, I think that's really unfortunate. So, um, I guess that's my final word. Uh, let Bitcoin be Bitcoin. Uh, let's actually compete for real consensus the way that it was described. And we'll actually get to see what Bitcoin's capable of. Because frankly, it's an experiment that we have not actually given a chance. Right. So mostly a great speech. Most of our bodyguard is that Kurt's really, really into minors. All right. Um, <laughs> so no, and listen, I just wanted to mention as well. Right. This is an important Let's spell thing. Spell that out, please. Can you? Sorry. ERS. 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 But no, listen. I mean, look, for all, all the criticisms, and, and by the way, Bitcoin's gone up 500 bucks over the course of this show. So anyway, I just want to mention that. So, but no, here's, can you imagine? Oh, kid here. Okay. Can you imagine how unbelievably sad it would be to not have? Bitcoin or, or crypto in the world at the moment, as we're sort of sliding over the money printing abyss, you know, let's, let's, what, what an unbelievable, dare I say, fork in the road. No, I don't, I don't dare say it. Spork in the road that we got going on here. Can you imagine if we didn't have a place to store value other than say gold and diamonds upper ass or whatever, right? I mean that, sorry, upper donkey for the kid here. Um, but it would just be unbelievably tragic. And the fact that there is an alternative for fiat currency that that's portable, that that's fungible and, and messy. Yes, it's messy, but it's nowhere near as messy as fiat currency. And that, that's sort of what I wake up when it's like, oh, you know, there's this negative thing or that negative thing. It's like, yes, but, <laughs> but on the other hand, there's uh, some life rafts uh, coming off the fiat currency, uh, giant sucking sound as, you know, human souls get flushed down into the endless greed of the banksters. That's a pretty damn great thing. Uh, it's a pretty damn great thing. And what an unexpected thing. You know, I, I think, you know, I think, hey, I've done some good in the world. Yeah, not bad, not bad. But I'm no Satoshi, you know, because that guy and, and, and the amount of, of good that he's done by giving us an alternative to fiat currency, first time in human history, absolutely. I mean, I sit there and thought, if I thought, oh, you know, I, I could work on philosophy, come up with a great theory of ethics and talk to thousands of people about how to make their lives better, or or I should have just stayed in the software field and worked on this shit. Anyway, it's kind of funny because I was a pretty good coder in my day. Uh, James, thank you for joining us. Um, I'm afraid we're going to have to give you a high bye. Happy to have you introduce yourself if you'd like. I'm sorry that you could, uh, I think you were working, came in a little bit late, but if you have any final thoughts, I'm happy to hear them from you as well. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. 
Uh, yeah, I'm here in Australia, so I got the message a bit late. I had to work in the morning. Hopefully, thankfully, we're working from home still. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit. Of course, I don't have the time, I know, so I will not elaborate too much about the feasibility of Bitcoin. And as you said just now, we have the alternative to the fiat currency, and Bitcoin is definitely much more fungible <laughs> than the fiat currency. So there's already an upgrade there. Uh, but these days, there's there are companies, and everyone knows that that's not really a secret, that work very hard to get to analyze the whole blockchain and make coins really unfungible. So if there's a coin that came through whatever dark web or hacks or anything, and you have acquired that, and you might even you might not even know that it comes from a bad uh, uh, neighborhood, then exchanges will not accept it and will have problems, maybe even with the law. Uh, so there's a, a core problem with fungibility in the Bitcoin network. And in my opinion, it's good that we get higher and higher prices because that will push uh, more more people to move to Lightning networks and Lightning networks have the potential at least to give us more privacy and override some of these bad effects of uh, bad fungibility really. Um, I know that I don't have much more, much time here, so I will not go through much more details. I will just say that Monero is the best alternative on this uh, case, the only actual fungible coin out there. And it's not really sexy like other coins. Don't talk about, uh, uh, you know, smart contracts and smart things and smart that and one billion transactions per split second. It's just a coin that works on privacy. And these days is not really uh, something really sexy. So I just want to mention that. And if in another update we have much more time, I'm happy to also give a little bit more detailed presentation. Absolutely, yeah. I, I wish I could schedule these things ahead of time, but I'm way too impulsive for that. So no thanks, guys. So the, the fact that there is now, for the first time in human history, money without blood on its hands. Okay, maybe some you know smoking craters of of uh, uh, community uh, accounts uh, on a on a chat session, but no actual blood. You know, no blood of children mining gold, uh, no blood of 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 war and and fiat by by control and command. We have money without blood, and hopefully we can get a much more peaceful world out of that. I love you guys for dropping by. Uh, thank you so much for your time tonight. Fascinating conversation. I'm. I'm happy to be schooled on the history because I'm not up on it. As I said, I was out of the space for quite a while. It's great to be back. It's also gone up another hundred bucks since the uh, last time I mentioned. You know what? We just got to stay on the call because clearly this is a vortex that's drawing the price up higher. So I'm afraid get a coffee, people, and pee in your break. seats because we're sticking around. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll send out notes uh, to people for joining the next one. Uh, a huge pleasure and uh, have a great evening. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Bye. Thank Thanks. you. Take care.